I was supposed to be reading from Psalm 42, and I had flipped to Psalm 1 because my mind's already on the message, and we're going to go to Psalm 1 in my message, so I apologize for, for that. That was my goofle. And if it's the only one I make this morning, we'll be in great shape. Thank you, Ruthann. Stephen? Just doing my smile check. Thank you, Dan. Caitlin, appreciate it. I'm going to stare at you till you smile, okay? That's the, that's the thing with the, with the just, just so you know. Just in case they didn't warn you, that crazy pastor. Hopefully today, when we're done, you'll be walking out of here smiling even bigger than you are now. Because we fellowshiped and we've had time in God's Word. After a couple weeks for Palm Sunday and Easter, we're, we're heading back to Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 8 today. Going to approach it just a little differently than I normally do, a little different style. We're going to find we're going to follow the 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 uh, English writing pattern, and we're going to look at the who, what, when, why, and where. I think I got them all in there. So we're gonna we're gonna go through the chapter about five times. First of all, we're going to look at the who's and then the what. Okay, well we'll make our way through it, just to kind of get us resituated and back into Nehemiah. Take a, take a flip back to chapter 7. We remember that chapters 4, 5, and 6 were, were the weapons that Satan would use to destroy us and the tools that God would use to build us. Chapters 4, 5, and 6. All the attacks from Samballot and Tobiah, they started out kind of mild and they just they ramped it up and then they were threatening Nehemiah's life. When they couldn't stop the work, when they couldn't attack the people and discourage them, then they went directly for Nehemiah. And in chapter 6, four times they, they sent a letter, and, and four times Nehemiah, Nehemiah basically said, get out of here, I'm doing a good work. We're doing God's work, we got to get it done. And, and what was the work? The work was to get the wall built. Why? To keep the world out, and to keep protection, and to pr- provide a, a zone in the city of Jerusalem that God's word could be preached and taught and enforced. That they would remember their heritage, they would remember where they came from, and they would remember who God is and what He had done for them. Chapter 7, we, we briefly looked at the genealogy, okay, um, in verse 1, Now it came when the wall was rebuilt, I had set the doors, the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites were appointed. Got the wall done, but there's always more to do. We're, we're never finished with God's work. We got to keep pressing on. We got to we got to keep moving forward. So they got the wall done. Then he had to, to finish the doors and the gates. Then he set up the the singers and the gatekeepers. And it talks in, in verse two there about Hananiah's brother and Hananiah, the commander of the fortress. 
I said, do not let the, verse 3, Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 3. I said to them, do not let the gates of Jerusalem be open until the sun is hot. And while they are standing guard, let them shut and bolt the doors. Also appoint guards from the inhabitants of Jerusalem, each to his post. And the idea there is to only allow those in that had a right to be there. And that's why he lists the genealogies in the rest of the chapter. Chapter 7, and if you look specifically, verses 61 to 65. I'm not going to read them, but it talks about those who are excluded. There were those who were not Jews, that had no right to be in the city. And then it was talking about the, the priests that could not provide the paperwork to prove their fam, the family lineage. It was a very strict thing that to, to be a practicing uh, priest of the tribe of Levi, you had to have the documentation to show that you had the right to be there. And, and so Nehemiah is telling the people, guard the gate. We need to guard the gate of our hearts. We also need to guard the gate of our church to make sure that wolves don't come in and attack and tear us to shreds. And those wolves can come in many different forms. It's not just people. I also think there's a lesson, and I don't want to get too political here, but that we need to guard our nation's gates. It's a very biblical principle. There's a reason to guard and to protect ourselves. If you want to think, I just think of these little ones. If we're not going to guard and protect them, who is? I'm sure there's people in the government that would love to take our kids from us and raise them and and brainwash them and convince them to to grow up with their thoughts. But we have a God-given responsibility. That's why it was so important that the walls would be finished around Jerusalem to keep the riffraff out and to make it a, a zone where God's law could be enforced and taught and where the people could be protected. Now today we're going to move on to, to chapter 8. I'm going to, because we're going to kind of go back and forth with the who, what, when, where, and whys, I'm going to kind of give you a basic outline of the chapter, and then as, as we go through each, you can kind of put them in, in that section, okay? First of all, verses 1 through 8. This is Nehemiah chapter 8. Verses 1 through 8. The word of God is meant to be understood. The word of God is meant to be understood. How can we, how can we apply it in our lives? How can we mean it, make it mean anything in our hearts and to, to change us if we don't understand it? It needs to be understood. And it is understandable. Verses 9 through 12. The word of God brings conviction and causes rejoicing. <laughs> I got an illustration I'm going to share in a few minutes. I love it. God's word brings conviction and causes rejoicing. Verses 13 through 18. The word of God calls us to obedience. The word of God calls us 
to obedience. Now, if we step back and take a little bit broader picture, real quick, the first six, excuse me, the first seven chapters of Nehemiah are talk are about meeting the physical needs of the people for protection, for self-preservation. Then, chapter eight to thirteen, the rest of Nehemiah is going to talk about the spiritual needs of the people being addressed, and it's and it's amazing and. It's, it's kind of fun to look at the, the parallel between Ezra and Nehemiah because the first seven chapters of Ezra are about rebuilding the temple. And then the last four chapters, four or five chapters of Ezra are about meeting the spiritual needs of the people. It's kind of the, the, almost the same division as, as we see in Nehemiah. The temple being rebuilt, the wall being rebuilt. The, the spiritual needs of the people being addressed in Ezra and then being addressed again in Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, he was, he was smart enough to know that, that his gifts didn't come over. In fact, okay, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm jumping the gun here a little bit. Who? Turn back to Ezra about 10 pages towards the front of your Bible. Ezra is right before Nehemiah. We're going to look at Ezra chapter 7. Verse 10, for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. That was his heart's desire, was to teach and instruct on the word of God. It's what he studied for. It was, uh, I don't know, you say, you know, kids used to have dreams of being policemen and firemen. Well, Ezra's dream as a little kid was to be a teacher and a preacher of the word. He set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. So, Nehemiah wasn't miffed or put out that Ezra is going to step into his book here, so to speak. Nehemiah is not feeling stepped on because he knows that Ezra has trained for this. Ezra, and you're saying, trained for what? We'll get there. Hang in there. He has trained to share the Word of God. He has trained to preach it. It's his heart's desire. He wants to do it. So Ezra says, okay, I'm done building the wall. I'm I'm the governor, and my responsibilities are are for the protection of the people. Now, Ezra, I'm going to step back and call you in so that you can help meet the spiritual needs of the people. Nehemiah chapter 8. We're going to look at the who first. Okay? Chapter 8, verse 1. And all the people, there's a who. What people are we talking about? All of them. But we're talking about the Jews. Who were these people? There, there was a few Anawim mixed in. Remember who the Anawim were? That's one of my favorite three foreign words. Anawim? Anybody remember the Anawim? From Matthew, blessed are the meek in spirit. When the invading armies come in, when Babylon came in, they they take off, they take all the smart, pretty ones, and they leave the dumb, ugly ones. And I know that's an oversimplification, but that's kind of the idea. They wanted the smart and the pretty ones to take back to their home 
to help develop and culture them and make their people smarter and prettier. And they didn't really care about the other ones, but they left the Anawim behind to take care of the vineyards and to do whatever. Okay, basically they were on their own fighting for life and, you know, for survival. Plant the crops and, and whatever. Didn't necessarily have protection, but they were there to just kind of mow the grass, I guess you might say. Who else? Who other people were there? Not about 90 years ago, Zerubbabel came back with the first group from Babylon. And then 13 years, 13, 14 years ago, Ezra came back to rebuild the temple. He brought some more of the Babylonian captives back. And then Nehemiah brought a group of people with him. Well, these people that came back, they, they weren't that familiar with Jewish culture. These people had been raised in Babylon. So they knew the Babylonian customs. They knew the Babylonian language. And we're going to see where that becomes an issue later in the chapter. So we're, we're looking, it's important to understand who this group of people is, and you'll understand why some of the things happen later in the chapter. They're Jews, but for the most part, don't know the Jewish traditions, and even struggle with the Jewish language. That's a who. Verse 8, or chapter 8, verse 1, Ezra, still in verse 1, Ezra, we, we talked about him a little bit, Okay. From, from Ezra 7.10, he, he grew up wanting to be a teacher of the law. So let's keep on going down here. Um, chapter 2, men and women. We're, we're just looking at the who, so forgive me for not reading the, you know, the whole verses. But the who, men and women. A lot of people want to say that, that God hates women. That, that God doesn't care about women, that they're not important. Wrong answer. There's many times in the Old Testament when most of the culture and society was not, was with, they treated women as property and possessions. But not so in the Jewish nation. God respected the women. They were there to be a part of the assembly. They were not excluded. They were not told to stay at home and be barefoot and pregnant or stay home and mop the floors or sweep the dust or whatever. They were encouraged to be a part of the assembly that's going on, and we haven't talked about the assembly, but anyhow, they're, they're there, okay? So it's talking about men and women. Let's keep going here and looking at the who's. Uh, verse 3 talks just a little bit about the men and women and those who could understand. So maybe some that had education, maybe some that had worked in the last 13 years if they came back with Ezra to, to learn some of the language. Verse 4. Ezra and the scribes stood at a wooden podium. And then, then there's a whole list of guys' names that, um, just for the sake of time, I'm not going to slaughter. Um, but these men... I don't want to get into the where yet. Okay, the, the, these are a group of guys that are, are listed here, and we're going to find another group of guys in a few verses. They were, Le they were Levites, they were priests, they were, they were scribes. They were there to help the people understand. Because remember, our first point, verses 1 through 8, is that God's word is meant to be understood. That we have to be able to understand it in order for it to apply to our lives. 
Verse 5, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above the people. Okay, that gets a little bit into the where, but again, Ezra and these guys are on a podium. Um, Verse 7 is our other list of fellows that that are going to help to explain the law. Verse 12, all the people went away. What people? Okay, verse 1, all the people that were gathered. Just just trying to give you an overview and and kind of connect the dots and pull it together. But in verse 12, all those people are going to go away from the assembly. Verse 13, the Levites, and this is on the second day, but the Levites were all gathered together with Ezra. Okay, all the people, let's see, the, the who, I think that's it for the who. All right, so we got an idea of who. We've got Ezra the scribe, we've got a group of men and women, the Jews, that are assembled. We've got some Levites that are going to help in the either translation or the the preaching of the word, the, the explaining it to the people to help them understand. When? Who? When? When is this taking place? This is taking place after the wall is built. That's the obvious. But it's starting, okay, in the seventh month, the seventh month of the year. Uh, if you look at the last verse of chapter 7, the, the last half of the last verse of verse 73 at the end of chapter 7, really should be part of 8.1, but when the seventh month came, the sons of Israel were in their cities. The wall is done. Everybody is settled out into their cities. Some of them live in Jerusalem, but some of them have resided maybe in the cities around Jerusalem that they resided in or their families resided in before they were dragged off to captivity. So we're in the, we're in the seven, seventh month. And there are many, many commentators that believe that, that Nehemiah was aiming to have the wall done before the seventh month. Because if you're a Jew, the seventh month of the year is a pretty important month. The first day of the seventh month is the, the Feast of the Trumpets, Festival of Trumpets, the celebration. Then the tenth day is the Day of Atonement. And then from the 15th to the 21st day of July, you've got the, the Feast of the Tabernacles or the, the Feast of the Booths. So the seventh month, if you're a Jew, <laughs> get your party hat because the seventh month of the year is a lot of celebrating, a lot of eating. And in a lot of just joy, a, lot, a time to look back. And, and the reason of these festivals is it's kind of like the, this, this table says in remembrance of me when we have communion. Every year they had these celebrations to do in remembrance of what God had done for them as a nation. To, to not forget that. So it was a time of rejoicing. A time of thanking the Lord for his care and for his watching over them. 
So we're in the we're in the seventh month, and and uh, we're we're gonna get we're gonna get to the to the fifteenth day where we're gonna talk about the feast of the tabernacles or the feast of the booths. Where, where are we? Okay, verse one. We're in front of the water gate. That's why we're calling it the water gate revival. And I, I'm going to point out there's the, and, um, the where is in front of the water gate. Verse two, Ezra brought the law where before the assembly, before the people. Verse four, where the stri- the sky. Slow down, John. The scribe stood at a wooden podium, and these other guys, some of them were at his right hand, and some were at his left hand. That's where they were standing on this big podium. So it wasn't just a a little place for Ezra to stand. It was a good-sized platform. We'll talk about the why in a little bit. But some were on his right hand, some were on Ezra's left hand. Verse 5 says that they were in sight of all the people, and that they were standing above the people. Verse 6. They worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. In verse 6, that's where they were. In worship with their faces to the ground. In verse 12, we already mentioned that where all the people went away. We'll talk a bit about that, where they're going. Verse 13 says that some of them were gathered to Ezra. They came back on the second day. Verse 15 says that they were in all their cities and in Jerusalem. And when they celebrate, the, see, we, it's kind of a, it's a different way to look at the book, but it's, or the chapter, but it's kind of fun to see how it keeps fitting back and forth in with each other. Verse 16, when we get to the booths, they're on their roofs or in their courts or in the courts of the house of God or they're at the square at the water gate or they're at the gate of Ephraim. Okay? This is more, and I'll come over there and show you real quick too. This is more of the part of the older city, but here we have the water gate and this doesn't really show topography, so I'm not sure if they were like on this assembling in here or in here, I, I think from previous study, this would make more sense out here. And then the Ephraim gate, so, so many different times under different rulers, the gates had different names. And they believe that the Ephraim gate is the same as the old gate up here in this part of the city. And they have um, more courtyard space there. So when, when you're living in a city... And you're gonna, they were gonna, supposed to make booths. Now I'm telling kind of some of the what. And they were supposed to reside in those booths for a week to remind them of their living in the tents while they were traveling in the wilderness. Well, if you live in the city and you are renting an apartment on the third floor, maybe the owner and the people on the first and second floor already got the space on the roof to put their booth. So you got to move out into the courtyard. Okay, on this side. This is the water gate here. And then you have the, what's called the old gate, or also they believe that's the same as the Ephraim gate that, that the chapter's talking about here. This is where they're, they're setting up their booths. And then in verse 18, talking about where is there is a solemn assembly. 
says, on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the ordinance. The people assembled again together. Now, it doesn't tell us specifically where. Um, might be safe to assume that they were back at the water gate because that's where the chapter starts. And that was obviously a large enough place for all the people to gather. What? What was the big deal? What, what, what is this all about? It's about the law of God. The people that had been in captivity in Babylon, we, we, I mean, they didn't have, and, and this isn't a New Testament, but, but they didn't have God's word that they could just carry around like this with them. They, they didn't have a New Testament they could just slip in the back of the pocket. Of course, the New Testament wasn't written there, so I'm kind of being a little goofy with that, but understand they didn't have everybody didn't carry around a copy of of the law the book of the law five books Moses wrote them I, I kind of think that that the, the fellows in verse four there that are listed that some were on his right hand and some were on his left were there to help unroll the scroll and enroll it as as Ezra excuse me yeah as Ezra read it and I also think if you look at verse Eight and it says, and they read from the book. I, I don't think Ezra read for the. Oh, I didn't mention this on the when, did I? When when were they reading? From early in the morning. They started at daylight, and they went until midday. Most scholars believe that was in the neighborhood of five to six hours. That they just listened to the word of God being read. They were hungry for it, folks. They were thirsty for it. They don't know this. This is new stuff to them. They've been in captivity. They haven't had the privilege of having the law of God read to them. So how are they going to react? How are they going to respond? The book of the law. Ezra, the, they, they asked Ezra the scribe in verse 1 to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. It was given to the whole nation. It wasn't to be hidden. For the longest time, and I, and I, I don't normally like to mention other religious groups or whatever, but for the longest time, for several hundred years, the Catholic goal is to keep the common man from reading the scripture because then they would know the truth. And Martin Luther changed that in Europe. But the, the book of the law was given to Israel. It wasn't given to the, to the priests. It wasn't given to the scribes for them to hoard it and hide it and keep it from the people. It was given to the nation. God's word is for all of us. It's not to be kept from anyone. Did I, did I hear an Amen. I think, I, no, I actually, no, really, I wasn't asking you to say amen. I actually think I heard an amen in there. They were hungry for the word, but it was given to the nation Israel. Some of the other, the what's, look at verse 10. So Ezra said to them, go eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to them who have nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. 
Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. What? Okay, the first what was the book of the law. Now what? The joy of the Lord. Because that's what comes about as you read the Scriptures. That's what comes about when you immerse yourself into God's Word, is joy and rejoicing. Beth and I like to walk for health purposes, for good exercise, and some folks down the street from us own a couple of sheep. And, and sometimes they're out with, when the sheep are out, and sometimes, they got two, two male sheep, they're, they're talking about getting some females, but they, they had them shorn about five days ago, is that the right word, shorn? They got, got a haircut anyhow, and uh, we, we were walking yesterday, and uh, I immediately thought of the sermon. Yeah, Ellen's laughing. You're crazy, man. What do you? What do you like? This sheep, we, and we were still probably at least fifty yards away from them. But the sheep see us coming, and whenever we walk, it's always hard because they come out and they want us to pet them and that. But then, as we want to keep walking, they don't always want to shoo back into the yard. And we we have these two little tails behind us. But yesterday it was so funny. This one, we've seen them do it before, but not very often. This sheep just came, one of them came running, just charging full speed ahead, and probably about 20 feet from us. Have you ever seen a sheep jump? They are the funniest looking jump. I am, probably I would look funny when I jump too, but they were, they, they, they jump on, on all four legs or off the ground at the same time, and it's like they're flying through the air. And, and this sheep just came running at us, and he's jumping. He's, he's jumping, he's probably. About that far off the ground? And it's like, oh, that is just the funny. That little sheep is rejoicing. He's happy to see us. Don't know why, but he is, so we'll take it. And the owner, the owner was surprised. He said, he, he, you know, because, okay, these, these sheep are, they live in the house with them, okay? They're in-house sheep. So they, they are their pets. They, they, they take good care of their sheep. And they're very friendly and close with their sheep. And so, you know, it's, it wouldn't be a surprise if, if he came home from work and got out of the truck and one of the sheep came bounding and jumped like that, you know. That, that would make sense. But he was just surprised that the sheep came running and bounced. We've never given them treats. We, we pet them quite a bit. But, you know, anyhow, the joy of the Lord is their strength. Not the sheep's strength, but the joy of the Lord is your strength. And how do you get the joy of the Lord? You spend time in the Word, in the book of the law. Now, the law was a teacher, and we're not under the law. We're not under the, the, the five books of Moses at the beginning. But the Word of God should, should have, have that effect on our lives. That we come running and just bouncing way off the ground. That we just be rejoicing. Verse 6, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break away. I, I, I was thinking that I would say that we're, we're going to do the who, what's, when, where, and why until I, I kind of break away from them, and then I'll just start preaching. So I, I'm thinking I'm just going to start preaching now. The what is the book of the law, the joy of the Lord. Uh, verse 12. Um, okay, here, here is something that, that is important for us to see in um, verse 10. Yeah. 
we'll go with it. It's all kind of broken up, and you've been, you've been floating with me, so I appreciate that. He said to them, Go eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. Those that have are to help those that have not. In the New Testament, Christ said, You will always have the poor with you. No matter how much you give them, you will always have the poor with you. That's why we teach a man to fish instead of keep giving him fish all, you know, all the time. We teach him how to fish. Thinking of communion in 1 Corinthians 11 and how the, the, the people would come unjustly to the Lord's table. And be, they, they would drink their wine, and, and it became, initially it was supposed to be one of the things where you came, obviously, to worship the Lord and to remember what he had done. But it was also to be a time where the haves brought food for the have-nots. And sometimes it might, and probably most likely was, the best food that the have-nots had all month, or quarter, or however often they did it. The Bible doesn't say how often to do it or not do it. But they had a responsibility to look out and take care of each other. And here, right here, we see it again. All the people, excuse me, I'm sorry, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. And, and that comes back in, in verse 12. When, when he sends them away, when they go away from the assembly, and they're to go home and to prepare for the, the booth, the, the, the festival of the booths or the tabernacle. One of the things that you need to do is to not forget those that don't have what you do. And to take care of, to help one another, not begrudgingly, just like when you bring your tithe, it should be cheerfully, with rejoicing that you can give to the Lord. But as you share with those that don't have, it should be cheerfully, not begrudging. Oh, he's so poor, he can't take care of himself. No, that's the wrong attitude. It's to help those that need help lovingly, because guess what? Everything you got, God could take away from you today. We talk about giving our tenth, our ten percent to the church. God cares how you spend the other ninety, folks. It's all His. I didn't mean to get off on tie. That wasn't the purpose. But we have a responsibility to take care, to take care of those that don't have, and to do it willingly and gratefully. Because tomorrow we could have absolutely nothing. And then we might be in that boat needing and wanting somebody else to give us a little something. Okay? Now, I've thought long and hard on, on, this, next, on this next part of the message. But look at verse 6. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, raise your hands, touchdowns. Amen, amen and Amen. Okay, now I decided, I was trying to decide which was worse, to derobe during the service or to just wear a t-shirt the whole time. So the rest of the service, I'm just wearing a t-shirt. If you're greatly offended at that, I apologize. But you're going to have to get over it because it's what's going to happen. All the people answered, amen, amen while lifting up their hands. Then they bowed low and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground.
Verse 9. Nehemiah the governor and Ezra the priest and the scribe and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. When's the last time you wept over your sin? Hmm. see a lot of people looking at their shoes. I get it. I get it. But when's the last time you wept over your sin? I wanted to go back into a little bit of my Easter sermon last week, and I'm going to mention the verse again. Uh, I'll read one. <laughs> if, 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 if you guys felt more like Jews today and standing here for five or six hours while I would preach, I would go back through Psalm 30, 32, 33, and 34 again like I did on Good Friday. Second Corinthians. There we go. 2 Corinthians 7.10. That was like Ezra 7.10. Didn't even click with that before. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Do you get that? 2 Corinthians 7.10 For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Isaiah Hopefully you'll remember this from last Sunday. For my hand made all these things, thus all things came into being, declares the Lord. But this one thing I will look, excuse me, but to this one I will look. To him who is humble, contrite of spirit, and who trembles at my word. Do we tremble at his word? We should. Psalm, just mentioned Psalm 51, 17, write it down, talking about a broken and a contrite spirit. And that is the one. In, in Isaiah here, the Lord says, this is the one that I will look on, him who is humble, him who is of a contrite heart, and the one who trembles at my word. If you sit down this afternoon, I would ask that you would. Sit down and just read the whole chapter so it will kind of make sense and all put together better for you. I kind of have really chopped it up and broken it up this morning. But the bottom line is we have a great assembly of the people because they're hungry for the Word of God. They assemble at the water gate. Ezra reads the law of God. 
He's got men on his left and his right that help with the scrolls and that probably take their turn reading. And then in verse 7, we have some other fellows, the Levites, to go in and among the people to explain to them, to help with the translation, to help them understand, because without understanding the Word of God, we cannot grow from it. We cannot learn from it unless we understand it. And that was Ezra's job, that was the Levite's job, was to help the people understand. They had a, they had a, uh, a cultural thing, because most of them had come back from Babylon. They weren't raised in the Jewish traditions and the Jewish families. But he preached the Word of God. The Word of God brought about conviction. And if you'll write down, let me make sure I get it right here. It's either Psalm 22 or 32. I'm pretty sure it's, yes, 32. Psalm 32, 33, and 34. You remember on Good Friday and last Sunday, we talked about how that forgiveness drives away the guilt. That just studying the law, studying the Word, the Holy Spirit will will convict us of our sin and we will feel guilty. And that's what the people here in Nehemiah were feeling. They were feeling guilty. They were weeping over their sins. But in Psalm 32, 33, and 34, it talks about the benefits of forgiveness. That the, the forgiveness from God will drive away that sin. And guess what? 2 Corinthians 7.10 says that God is the one that sends that guilt. He is the one that sends that sorrow to convict you of your sin. So Psalm 32, 33, and 34. And talks about the fear of the Lord. The last verse that I shared back on Good Friday was verse 34, verse 9. Psalm 34, 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him... There is no want. If we fear Him, we will tremble at His word. If we fear Him, we will have a broken and a contrite heart. If we fear Him, we will weep over our sins. So what did, what did they do when they, when they realized that they were, they were broken because of their sin? They hadn't been living right. They immediately wanted to celebrate the the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. This was, again, where they they would get palm palm branches or olive branches and build booths on the top of their house, and they would live in them for a week. That means they went without the internet, they went without their TV and their cell phone for a week, living in this booth. And they hadn't done it in over a thousand years because they hadn't been obedient to the Word of God. Now, there, there were times where they, 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 they acknowledged that this was the time of the Feast of the Booths, and maybe even some of them might have put a couple branches together on their roof to make it, but, but they didn't live. They didn't obey the law. They did not live in those booths for that week, as they were instructed and directed to do. And these people that are coming back, and they're fresh, and they hear the word, the law of God, they immediately want to obey. They want to do this. And they want to do it right. They want to do it well. And the rest of the chapter talks about what they did. They hadn't done so in verse 17 since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun. And there was great rejoicing. Because when we hear the word of God, when we understand the word of God, and we have a broken and a contrite spirit, 
and we allow God's word to permeate us, to live in us, to convict us, to change who we are, God sends us guilt. But he also gives us forgiveness, and with that forgiveness should be the rejoicing. Thank you. Maybe I'll wear this T-shirt every week, and whatever. I'll just I'll, I'll just beat my chest when I want an amen. Okay. We need to know the joy of the Lord in our song, in our study. I, I think of I, <laughs> I, I think of of books that I read um, by some authors that I can't put it down. I, I just got to keep going. Sometimes it's, it's a mystery. Sometimes it's a spiritual book. And then there's other books that I, I can't wait to put it down. It's like, oh my goodness, I got to read that. What is God's word to you? What kind of book is it? Where's your heart? Where's your hunger? Do you get hangry when you don't get the word of God for a few days or a day? If you miss a meal, do you get hangry? I pray that you would. I pray that you would find the joy of the Lord in his word. Folks, because with all the garbage going out in our world, this never changes. Our God never changes. And he will never leave us or forsake us. Rock Shazak. Amen. Your Baptists, feel free to raise your arms, folks. Raise them to God. Not because you see your neighbor doing it. Not because pastor's telling you to do it. But because you feel the joy of the Lord. Because that's what one of the results is. Or should be. It calls us to, to obedience. But the Word of God brings conviction. And causes rejoicing. If there's no amens, if there's no amens and nobody's scoring any touchdowns, where's the rejoicing? So where's your heart? So where are you spending? Where are you spending your time? Oh, people, no, I'm preaching to myself. It's the privilege of being the preacher. I get to preach to myself all week long. Let's pray. God, give us a burning desire to be in your word. To know you more. To want to know you more. To love you. That we can rejoice in the salvation that you are our strength. And like, like Joshua, Rakshazak, you are our, our courage. You are our strength. Oh God, open our eyes and our hearts to you. Make us thirsty for your word as the deer pants. Lord, I want, to, I want to close my prayer and read from Psalm chapter 1. How blessed is the man 
who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night, not just on Sunday mornings. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruits in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatsoever he does, he prospers. Father, teach us to help others to understand your word and give us a desire, a burning desire in our heart that we can't go without, that has to be met. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Nehemiah and Ezra and their faithfulness. Thank you for the the 26 guys listed here in in chapter 8 of Nehemiah that I won't try to say their names, Lord, but you know each one who they were, that they were servants of you to to teach your word. Thank you for them. Thank you for the response of the people. Help us to rejoice, Father, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't forget to come up and get your...